Let us pray, gracious and heavenly Father, for this uh, for this day, for this church, for all that we have received from you. We give you thanks. Um, continue, I pray, to uh, to work your work in each one of us, the work of belief. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Continuing the series on parables. Good see you. Um, uh, Ron last week did the parable of the labors in the vineyard, and then previously um, Michael did the. Uh, I thought was a very interesting take, replete with Jeffrey Dahmer on the, the parable of the prodigal son, which I thought was a, sort of opened it up for me, kind of pushed it out there on the edge, which I thought was good. And today, um, I want to say it's filler between those two really. <laughs> I don't know that. We'll see. Um, the Another great parable, really interesting parable, um, the parable of the wicked tenants, as it's often called, or the wicked husbandman, if uh, uh, you're back in the King James time. Um, so we'll look at that. Uh, intend today to look at another piece of art from the Reformation, Lucas Cranach the Younger. Um, it's going to be a tie over a little bit between this parable as well as the one that Ron did last week, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. If you weren't here last week, that's fine. Ron's parable was the one where there were um, uh, uh, workers in the vineyard that came throughout the different parts of the day. One, you know, one group worked 12 hours, another group worked 9, another group worked 6, another group worked 3, and another group worked 1. And at the end of the day, the, uh, the master of the vineyard paid them, um, uh, uh, starting with the group that just worked 1 and gave them a day's wage at Denarius and worked all the way up. And of course, what do you think? The people that worked 12 hours, they were thinking, oh, I'm going to get a big hunk of change here. I know we said 1 Denarius. But, uh, but if he gave the guy who worked one hour that much, you know, uh, surely he's going to pay me more. And, of course, he didn't. And the great parable of grace, you know, would you begrudge me my generosity, the, uh, the, uh, the vineyard owner says. So there's that because a vineyard is a primary metaphor, um, especially in Isaiah, uh, for, um, for Israel, for the chosen people of God, as we are now part of that grafted into Israel. Those who struggle against God is what that word literally means. Um, that we who are in the vineyard, apart from him, we can do nothing grafted in as a uh, uh, as branches onto the trunk, onto the vine. Um, that's us. So the vineyard, rich uh, uh, metaphor for, uh, for, for, for our life in him. So that's where I hope to go today, see where it all plays out. Let's read the parable. Um, then we'll look at the art, and then we'll kind of go back in and sort of pull the parable uh, apart a little bit. Let me put my coffee down. Uh, and turn to my page. <coughs> this is a parable that's in all three of, of the synoptic gospels, what are called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, but we, we're going to chase the one in Matthew just because it's kind of the most robust of the three. Um, uh, here, another parable. He's just told in Matthew the parable of, um, let's see if I can remember. Uh, first, it was uh, the authority of Jesus questioned where Jesus comes in and, 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 and this is Holy Week, Tuesday of Holy Week, by the way. Um, Palm Sunday's happened. He's on his way to, to Good Friday. It's almost to the end. Uh, he really sort of separates everybody from himself on Wednesday, so he's really starting to create all the tension very intentionally. And so a group of uh, the scribes and the Pharisees come to him and want to trap him with certain words. And they said, tell us about this, uh, 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 about John the Baptist. Um, and Jesus says, before I tell you that, um, you tell me this. And he sort of traps them in this 
this game, and he says, we don't know, that was their audio daily double, and they come into the, the uh, uh, they lose, they say, well, if we say this, he's going to think that, but if we say this, he's going to think something else, and so we're kind of stuck, he sort of outed us and bested us at our game of kind of playing chess, he was two steps ahead of us, and so they come in and say, we don't know, and he says, well, I'm not going to tell you either. He says, I'm not going to play the game, you know, my authority is mine. Um, uh, it's not to be trifled with, and it's not to be sort of played with, and I'm not going to sort of be drawn in at sort of a cognitive or rabbinical debate. Um, it's, uh, it's for me. And then he tells them a parable. He really kind of goes from that and tells a couple of parables. Um, the parable of the, uh, of the two sons, which is unique in Matthew, where he says, so uh, a vineyard owner has two sons, and he says to the first son, I want you to go into the field and, and do the work. And the first son says, okay, I'll do it. But then the first son doesn't do what he said he was going to do. And he goes to the second son, and he says, I want you to go in the field and do the work. And the second son says, no. But later, he went and did the work. And so the question becomes, uh, who did the will of his father? And they said, well, surely it's the second son. This is where, you know, you need to come in, like I said a few weeks ago, from, uh, from Robert Capon's good work, from, from good word, that the parables especially um, need to come in with a blank slate, um, that we need to come in with as few sort of a priori assumptions as we can, because they're not easy. This isn't sort of sour grape kind of stuff. It's not all Aesop's fables where it's just sort of moral tropes that we're repeating. And he says, so who did the will of the Father? And I mean, that's like... What kind of question is that? I don't. I mean, did, did either? I mean, one said no, but he did it. The other said yes, but he didn't. I mean, they're, they're, they're both deadbeats. What's going on? And so he says, well, surely it must be the second. And he's like, he doesn't really answer. Then he goes on, and so it shall be also in the kingdom of heaven for the publicans and the, uh, the prostitutes. And you're just like, Jesus, what are you doing? You know, not a good teacher, what I said last time. Uh, but plainly, it has to do with this authority. The authority, the, word, the root of the word authority is author. I am the author, and therefore the authority of, of life, of belief. For the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. Uh, all of this talk of vineyards brings to mind work, tilling the soil, pulling out rocks, pulling the weeds, you know, doing all the different things. Uh, but the work of God is belief. And you know, on the heels of Andrew's sermon, uh, that work is God's alone. So he kind of pulls this very obtuse parable of the two sons out, and then he comes into this one, the parable of the wicked tenants. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. So he kind of sets up the, uh, the situation. Um, a vineyard owner, the master of the house, that word is literally Lord, Kyrios. Um, so the Lord planted a vineyard um, and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants, and then he left. He's going away to another country, a far-off place. And when the season, the Kairos, the high time uh, for fruit drew near, he, the vineyard owner, sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And again he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And therefore, the, uh, when, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? And he said to them, He will put those wretches to a miserable death. 
and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the fruit of their season. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking to them. <laughs> That's kindergarten. <laughs> I mean, does. Um, and although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So thus ends the reading. So much going on here. Uh, remember, parables, as Michael pointed out really well two weeks ago, um, it's one thing brought up alongside of another, parallel, para, um, in order to... Uh, to compare the qualities, to see something more clearly by bringing something along the line. Um, that's kind of where, well, no, I'm going to go that word. Parables aren't all allegorical. Um, I think a lot of times we think they are because the very first parable that Jesus tells is the parable of the sower, and they say, what does all this mean? And Jesus actually says, this is what this means. The, 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 the seeds are this, and the, the, the birds of the air mean that. And he starts to assign quote, spiritual significance to all the different pieces. In some ways, that ruined us. That just ruined us because we think, well, that must be the way we read all parables, and that's not true. Um, the parable of the prodigal son, for instance, was a good example of that, where it's not allegorical. Um, it's a story. It's a narrative. Um, it's meant to highlight other, other elements. This one is allegorical, or at least semi-allegorical. One of only the few, the parable of the sower, this one, a hard time thinking of another one, what, what it could be. Um, so we, 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 we climb in there, um, and we start with that. Here, then, this other parable. I'm going to go quickly, because I really want to do the text work um, after we look at the art. Uh, but to get the, the, the idea, when the season, when the specific season, the kairos, not the, uh, uh, when, when, the, when, the, when the appointed time comes uh, for the fruit to draw, to, to, come, to come near, God, uh, or the, the, the vineyard owner, will send his servants to the tenants. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. These are the prophets. This is John the Baptist, especially, um, the one who prepared the way of the Lord, the Kyrios, the true vineyard, um, uh, well, the, really the, 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 the cornerstone himself. Um, he sent other servants more than the first. They did the same to them. And finally, he sent him his son, saying, They will respect my son. It's definitely a parable. This didn't really happen. That's really sort of an inane statement. Well, they'll respect my son. I mean, that's, that's not that's, that's totally unreasonable and unrealistic expectation. Why would they respect the son? They just killed outright some, stoned, very slow killing for others. This idea that, well, if I send my son, surely they'll respect him. Uh, kind of setting him up for uh, pulling the rug out, the audacity of this, this parable. Uh, and they took him, the son... Oh, I'm sorry, uh, but when they talk, when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is his heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. Another setup. That's not the way it works. You don't sort of kill the messenger or really the son of the owner, and by law it passed to you. Maybe somehow some sort of squatter's rights, or he's so far out there that he's sort of exhausted everything, or maybe in a sort of mob hit kind of way. Um, you know, we, 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 we do the hit, and therefore we sort of inherit the power. But, you know, that is a reach. Um, that's not what's going on here. Uh, it's just that they get caught up, and I'll spend more time with this, kind of laying groundwork to repeat, 
I think they get caught up in the human heart's um, very predictable nature, the human heart's very predictable wiring, what it does naturally, and what the heart wants. And they wanted the vineyard. This is ours. How can we get it? And they lose sight of everything because what the heart wants, the will chooses, and then the mind justifies. And so they started going through the whole process of, hey, if we kill him, it'll be ours. We'll get it as an inheritance. You know, a really inane rationalization, but underneath it, uh, the desire of what they wanted, the greed, the lust, the concupiscence of, of the vineyard, that can be ours. So there's a lot to say about that later. And then Jesus uh, uh, sets them up. So what's the, uh, what's the vineyard owner going to do when he comes back? And they answer, He'll put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the fruits of their seasons. And he's like, that's right. And Jesus says, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it was marvelous. Sorry, it's the next thing. And it was marvelous in our eyes. Or shocking is a better translation of that word. And it was shocking. It was absurd. It was audacious in our eyes. The stone that the builders rejected uh, and he's sitting probably on the stones. He's teaching in the temple here, the first, the, the last days, the first days of Holy Week. He's probably literally sitting on the temple mount, telling this, uh, uh, telling this teaching. And he's saying the stone that the builders rejected, the vineyard uh, tenants, you know, Israel, the old, uh, the old rulers, you and I, in other words, the ones that they rejected. That's the one who's God's going to sort of do. So let's look at some many comments on that. That's a that's a flyover, just to kind of put the uh, the parable in our brains as we climb in. I'd say the punch there is uh, what the heart wants, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. They got caught in the lust and in the greed for glory, for possession, for for ownership, for control. Um, they got caught up in wanting to be God, um, the Lord of the Vineyard. Surely, we're going to see a lot of that in the art here. In it. So, yeah, this is this is ours. We, we've been here for for how many hundreds of years? How many thousands of years? Um, it's rightfully ours. We kill him, we deserve this. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> well, here's a very busy, and it's going to be hard for some of y'all to see this. I know a very busy print, um, very busy piece. Lucas Cranick. The younger, uh, uh, Lucas Cranach, uh, especially the elder, was a good friend of Martin Luther. He was sort of the, the, the patron artist, so to speak, of the town of Wittenberg. When Luther was, uh, uh, w- was also there and sort of the Reformation exploded there in the uh, sort of the hub of it all, it's this rather um, strained style, which I'm really drawn to, uh, uh, that, that emerged right here at the Reformation, the beginning of the Renaissance, that's what you would call it in terms of art, uh, the history of art. The beginning of Renaissance, very didactic, as it's showing lots of different things to teach. Um, and we're going to look at like de- we're going to look at a lot of details of this. But this is the this is the whole piece. It's the altar piece at the uh, the city church there in Wittenberg. You can go see it. I saw it once when I was there years and years ago. I mean, all these pieces of art. You're just walking around. It's like that's it. That's not like the copy. That's that's actually it. And you're like, and I can just go up there and like you know touch it. Like how come I can do this to that? So, but, but you can. You can just go up there and. Stroke it if you wanted to. Um, 
Uh, but please don't. Um, so this is Lucas Cranach the Younger. It was painted about uh, probably 13 years after Luther's death. I wish I had a pointer. That's Martin Luther right here in the center of the screen as an old man. Um, uh, he was known in his life, but but even, you know certainly within these 15 years of his death, just this titanic figure. Everybody, just everything went into and out of Luther, especially in the town of Wittenberg, as you might might guess. But I don't want to make any assumptions. Um, it is a. Uh, it's just called the, the 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 Vineyard of the Lord. So it's not exactly any specific Bible passage, but it's primarily two: the one that I just mentioned and the one that Ron did last week, the parable of the uh, the laborers in the vineyard, and then this one of the uh, the, the wicked tenants. You can see a strong division line, uh, a pathway that kind of kind of runs from the lower left up to the upper right, where the vineyard is here on a hill with two wells, and we'll look at a lot of things. But letting it kind of soak in, it was painted as an epitaph, as a uh, sort of a memorial word for a guy named Paul Aber. Um, Paul Aber was a, uh, a colleague of Luther in Luther's last years, a professor of Old Testament. Uh, there in Wittenberg, and sort of one of the second-generation reformers, and and a real uh, an important figure um, who had a lot of struggle. And all these people, this is very um, uh, typical of of of, of Cranach and, and and others at the time. Down here in our, in the lower right, you see all those folks kneeling and all that stuff. That's Paul Aber and his wife. Um, these two folks down here. Um, that's Paul Aber, and this is his wife. She's got the Bible in her hands. That's rather uh, unusual, shocking. Um, the Bible, remember, had just been uh, printed in the vernacular, uh, what, 40 years before, and not only was it now printed in a way that they could read it, but the woman is reading it. Um, very egalitarian. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. We heard that today in Galatians 5.1. And then the others, the 13 folks, well, then that's Cranach over there on the, the, the very far right. Most of the artists would paint themselves in these pictures somewhere. And the others are his 13 children. The five in white are the five of whom died very early in childhood. A man well acquainted with grief, as most of the families did. Very large families where quite a few of them died early. So this is the vineyard. Let's start looking at a little bit more closely some of the, the paintings. Here you can see a little bit more detail, not, not much, but a little bit more detail of Aver's family down here on the bottom. Martin Luther over here on the... Uh, on the, the, the right, sort of facing, this would be Philip Melanchthon, Luther's lieutenant, sort of second in command, as it were, sort of the primary second generation reformer, uh, uh, a great humanist. And what he's doing is tending the well, um, a phrase that came out of both the Reformation and, again, sort of in more secular terms, just, uh, just the Renaissance humanism. Was, uh, was ad fontes, back to the sources. And so this idea of the well being the source where they wanted to no longer have the word of God clouded by having to go through the church, but be able to go back to the source, back to the original text, back to the Hebrew um, and to the Greek. And so uh, the scholarship that was produced in this period with men like Philip Melanchthon or, or Erasmus of Rotterdam and some others was, was still, by today's standards, very, very, very high. Um, and so Philip Melanchthon was a, uh, was a titan, um, a titanic mind. Um, Luther even had a quote that, that Cranach would have, uh, would have known about this. 
Luther, over here with the long rake, um, says, I had to remove logs and trunks and hew away the thorns and the hedges and fill in the puddles, for I am the rough for I had to make the rough forest right, whom the one who must break and direct the path. But then he continued to say about Philip Melanchthon, who was a little bit less of a physical figure. I mean, Luther was a big man. Um, and and, and uh, uh, Philip Melanchthon probably looks a little bit like Frank Limehouse, um, a little bit uh, not quite so so large uh, physically. But but Philip Melanchthon, um, Luther would describe. Uh, but thus drives Master Philip cleanly and quietly. He builds and plants, he sows and waters with desire, and God has richly gifted him. So there's Melanchthon um, going back to the source, drawing the water out of the well. And then there's seven or eight other reformers, all of whom people there in the city would have known. This would have been sort of almost a, uh, uh, you know, a directory, so to speak. Um, and each one of them has some specific aspects that would have been... a appropriate to where they were. But, but Luther standing in the middle, very intentionally, directly opposite of Philip Melanchthon, where the two of them are facing one another. These are, when you think of the, 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 the Reformation in Germany, you go into and away from Luther and Melanchthon. Um, and so um, Cranach painted all that. A little bit closer, there's Luther. Um, that's Paul Aber, in fact. Um, he appears in the painting twice both uh, kneeling reverently with his, um, uh, in a very ordered way, very, very German, order, order, order. Uh, but that's also uh, Paul Aber directly, what on Luther's right, the lower left of the screen, kneeling, um, struggling with the vines, um, possibly because he's struggling uh, with the deaths of his, his uh, children, as well as having to be the inheritor of making this thing work, the Reformation. Just because it started didn't mean it was easy going. Then all the fights really started to happen in some ways after that. So that's all Luther. That's Luther and Paul Aber. I can't remember what I'll put in here. Um, there's Melanchthon and a few of the other reformers um, drawing the well very carefully because it's going to be contrasted to what the, uh, uh, the traditional church is doing. Um, uh, again, the whole, just to kind of let you see again where the details were coming from. But it goes over now to the, uh, to the other side. You see this well, what are they doing but filling it full of rocks? Not ad fontes, but somehow block fontes. Block the source. Don't let them get in there. It's too dangerous. We know what's right. Um, they can't be trusted. Uh, let us have a way of, of dealing. We're going to look at the crowd in a few minutes, but that's definitely the laborers in the vineyard, all the laborers lining up for their wages. Uh, and you're going to see a lot of the other details. There's them filling the, uh, uh, the, the, the well, and then some of them, I think, are faithfully working. He wasn't completely reactionary, but then many were just totally shirking their duty. Some of them are drinking, carousing, uh, seem to be very careless. Out of one monk's habit, you'll see uh, a deck of cards coming out, so gambling, with, you know, all the, you know, Las Vegas sort of stuff. It's just so, so bad, so... Here's, um, you know, anyway, I don't need to keep going. I'm going to move to the text again. The, uh, the carousal, where's the deck of cards? It's very slight, but it's in there. Um, the detail in these things is really kind of amazing. Here's the last uh, piece. That's Christ um, down in the bottom. Here's the whole picture. You see we're down here in the lower left. Um, this detail, that's the Pope. Um, he's got his hand out. Uh, this is definitely Ron's um, parable last week, so chime in, Ron, if you want. That's the Pope with his hand outstretched, and he's got his coin, his denarius, uh, his day's wage, and that's Christ opposite him. 
where his uh, hand is on the purse as the master of the vineyard, the one who's delivering the wages, the promised wages, would you begrudge me my generosity? Uh, and so he's got his purse, but it's closed. Um, looks like Christ is saying, no, that's it, with his raised right hand. But the Pope continues to have his hand outstretched. Even though he's already received his wage, it's like, you know, more, more, more. Looks like his advisor, his consigliere is over there sort of saying, don't, don't pull your hand back. You've got to stay with it. Um, let, him, let him give you what you deserve. Steve, your good point. Um, making a comment here, the church worked in the vineyard for 12 hours. Um, they're the ones who've been here all of this time. Uh, surely we must be getting something a little bit more than the others. So they're lined up, and then behind Jesus, behind Christ, is Peter holding the key, and then the Apostle John, always the youthful disciple. Um, he's the one in red directly behind uh, Christ's left shoulder. Uh, I'm not really sure how to read that. It looks like John is looking at Peter, and Peter looking at the Pope. Remember, the Pope, the see of Peter, um, the inheritor of Peter. It's as if Peter, who really has the key, um, the doctrine of the keys, the idea of the keys, is looking at the Pope saying, is this what it's become? And John's looking with that sort of wistful, longing look of, uh, this is it. This is, this is now that which the Lord said he was going to build upon your name, this rock. Um, this is what it's become. I'm not sure of that, but I think that's right, because all this was in the ecclesiological sort of reforming of the church. What's important? It's one vineyard. It's not two vineyards. Cranach, the reformers, they didn't want to make another church. They saw this as Christ, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, because it's a very unecumenical painting today. This would, you know, be, you know, it's not inclusive, and you wouldn't say this is politically correct because it's got all, you know, we're right and they're wrong, and it's got a lot of the black and white imagery. That's all true, and it's got some angles to it, which I'm kind of drawn to. But the reformers sought to reform the church, Christ, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, not to make two churches, not to do something separate, um, but to uh, to graciously tend, I don't know, I could overplay that, to, to, to go about the work of God. And what is the work of God, it says in John 6? This is the work of God, colon, to believe in the one whom he has sent. And Christ states the authority, and the, the and so they, uh, and so they work. Now there's, uh, anyway, I'll stop. Any comments or thoughts? Then we go to the text. That's just the picture. When I thought of this parable, I thought, oh, it's a good time to throw in some some art. Uh, any thoughts? Or Ron, any feedback on sort of laborers of the vineyard where it comes down? Or any, any, any comments at all? Are you going to talk about the stairs as it were going up to the top? Uh, no. I probably could. But do, do you have any thoughts on it? No, I wonder. You're talking about right in the middle of the... Uh... Yeah, if you go to the very top of the painting mm-hmm. and then go down about four or five inches, you see that what looks like a series of heights with people at different levels. Mm-hmm. What does all that mean? Yeah, I think... Um, I don't think... This is knowing a little bit about Krennic. Uh, he's, he's, he's not implying any sort of levels of heaven. Here, this isn't sort of the stairway to heaven or any sort of works at all. If anything, it's it's saying the other. Uh, the people, especially on the reformer side, um, our right, the hills left, would uh, would all be known. Um, you can find a lot of their names. Uh, so I think the stairs are really just depiction of a vineyard. Um, that it would be sort of stair stepped in such a way. 
on the left over here. Yeah, yeah you know, sort of not tending it well, right. um, being a little bit uh, careless, and even um, more than careless, uh, sort of pillaging it, not really caring about the inherence and what comes on. So. Right. They, had, they were the keepers. Of the they were the keepers and the people and that's exactly right let's use it for our own advances and the clergy would be very wealthy and could have all the money while the people went without and so then there would be a political comment on that so yeah jim i'm struck by the cyclical nature of this because if you look at moses he brought the law to the people of god and then by the time jesus comes he says you turn the law of god into the law of man and he's attacking the pharisees and the sadducees mm -hmm. here we are Yep, yep. What the heart wants, the will chooses, the mind justifies. And it's a comment on the church which needed to be reformed, um, that the church began to uh, justify its existence, um, and still does. Um, That's where I could get in trouble. Church justifies its existence in all sorts of ways that uh, need to be examined. Ad fontes, go back to the source. Look at why we assume certain structures or... Or uh, I don't want to get too far. I didn't mean to go there. Um, yes. But Gil, you really the nature of man. I mean, it was uh, Andrew's sermon today in Galatians five. The nature of man is licentiousness, idolatry, etc., etc., etc. Far broader than the fruit of the spirit, which is the nature of God. Absolutely. So, so I think it's interesting that, that that Luther and Melanchthon are on the right side of the picture. You know, because there's so much, there's so much about Christ being in, on, on the right side of the mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it, we could go there. I don't know how much to overplay that. Luther had a phrase, and I'm very fond of the left-handed power of God. Um, that the right side would be sort of the more direct, explicit, expected power. We know what a Messiah looks like. They don't die. Left-handed power. Uh, angular, obtuse, a surprise, hidden. I know what a power, uh, I know my authority. Nobody but me is the author of that authority. Um, the Messiah dies. Uh, so it could be that. I don't know that. That's where you could begin to pull out where that was Cranach's intention. Um, I certainly think it could be a play here. But, um. That heart, will, mind, rather apply to just about everything. Absolutely. Because let me put this. Thank you for the bridge. If I want to say, where are we in this? We're not the reformers. I'm not the reformer. <laughs> I'm over there pilfering, thinking, oh, this is convenient. You know, look, I mean, a vineyard. I mean, I've been placed here. God called me, put me down. Well, if I just sort of take a little bit of the grapes myself, like these guys sort of walking around eating right there. Look, eating the fruits, of, you know, there's the wine. That's why we're here. You know, if I just sort of do that before I release it or walking around, some are eating. There's the guy down there on the bottom. Eating while he's taking it over. You know, That's me. What the heart wants, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Just a little bit. doesn't. Nobody's going to get hurt. I mean, that's, that's totally me. I'm not over there faithfully tending the garden unless the Lord in his exousia, his power and authority, uh, uh, how did Andrew say in his sermon? Um, gives me the crosstown bus to get from uh, one side of the vineyard to the other. Um, that's not me. I can't cross over. Which is why I think some of them 
are actually some of the, the, the papists, the Roman Catholic, the old church are, uh, are depicted favorably. And with the laborers in the vineyard, the, the ones who got there early, they worked through the heat of the day, and, and they thought that they were working to enter the kingdom, but they were, so I mean, they were actually doing work all day, but it wasn't their work that brought them into the kingdom, and then so they thought that through their work they could get more and be at a higher level like the Pope. Um, but the ones who were brought in at the end of the day were relying on nothing but trusting the master of the house, and so they were in a position they could receive um, yeah, because the verb form of the noun, I say this a lot, and I don't think it really ever makes sense. It doesn't make sense to me most of the time, but it just did. The verb form of the noun uh, is really important. The noun is belief. The verb of belief is trust, faith. The noun is pistis. The verb is pisteo. We don't get that in English. That's in the Greek. In English, we translate pistis as faith. Uh, I'm sorry, as, as, as faith. Um, but the verb is belief. And so when Christ says we are justified by faith, by grace through faith, our response, so to speak, the work of God, therefore, is trust, is faith, is, is belief, is... That's it. Go ahead. So. What you were saying made me think of what some people will ask, and that is, suppose Hitler, when he was in his bunker about to die, all of a sudden started believing in Jesus. Is that justifiable and true? Yes. <laughs> if it's not, I am among all men to be most pitied. Um, I pray that, of course, he's there. Um, I know that's awful to say, but every that's every knee shall bow. Every knee, yeah. He's clearly going to recognize the Lord. Um, why do I pray that He's there? Uh, because if there's hope for a sinner like me, there'd be hope for a sinner like Hitler. Um, that's the audacious claim of the gospel. Well, doesn't this also depict, and I, I, I know that Kinnick, uh, is that the. Krennic. I'm sure he's well acquainted with Luther's uh, discussions of the law. And so, so much of what you see in the papacy down at the bottom is truly, and the justification of the, of the vineyard workers is that their use of the law or the, or the people's use. Hmm. That's what Jim was talking about, I think, was you know, people begin to, to prosecute. So, yeah. Um, I would agree. I'm not going to trace chase that too much just for sake of time and not get too arcane, but I think you're absolutely right, Steve. Didn't Luther wind up sort of believing that nothing he can do Yeah, he would say that the uh, even our saying that I accept Christ wouldn't have me as its author; that somebody else would be the authority of that statement. And his last line, and you know, we'll stop here. His last words, as he died in 1546, some 13 years before this was painted, was, "We are beggars. It is true." I think that's what I'm titling the next class. In fact, um, uh, with about Lazarus and Dives, the, the 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 poor beggar who goes to heaven.
uh, we are beggars, that we never have, that's the prayer of humble access, um, that we pray every, we prayed this morning for the, um, uh, uh, before communion. Um, Almighty, most merciful God, um, uh, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but, that pro- but, but thy property is always to have mercy. Um, we are beggars, uh, begging for even the crumbs under the table from the one whose property is always, not most of the time, not sometimes, not conditionally, but whose property is always to have mercy. I'm still struck. This came up in conversation this week. People, if we have time for 30 seconds um, on that prayer of humble access, people hear that and think it's a depressing prayer. And I just have to say that's the, uh, it's it's one of the most important, and I, I do understand that because it's the, you know, we're not worthy, and so was like, well, of course you are. You know, you you know, don't say that about Margaret. She's cute. She's certainly worthy. You know, let her come. So, that's my daughter. Uh, you know, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs. By what? By what? By what standard? And then the the thunder of it all comes down. I mean, right here at the bottom, it's like, would you begrudge me my generosity? I I, I gave you your wage. Um, my property is always to have mercy. If, uh, if you wanted me to go through and see your work and grade it, you know, we'll see what kind of wage you would get. The wages of sin is death. So, I don't know. I'm just really sort of off and all over today. This is when I attended it to go. I thought it was going to be a little bit more sort of, you know, uh, interactive. It was interactive, more uh, lighthearted and fun. But um, may we... I guess I had a prayer or a thought to leave us on. It's that that Kranich, because this is where we went today more than anything else, that we wouldn't be drawn so much to the, uh, the, the, what we're calling the right side, but the left, um, what the heart wants, the will chooses, and the mind justifies, that as one who loves the Reformation, to break that word out, that reformed is the way that comes out. I need to be formed again. Uh, the church needs to be, but I need to be reformed again, and that the one who is the author and therefore the authority of that formation would uh, would speak and create, as I know myself, to be more of the uh, the lazy, licentious, uh, rationalizing um, thief on the left side of the painting. Um, Thanks be to God, his property is always to have mercy. There's hope. If there's hope for Hitler, then there's hope for me. <laughs> and I put that in that order. Um, so Let us pray. Father, take this uh, word so feebly offered. Um, not really what I intended. But take these words, I would pray, and, and, uh, and use them as you would. Uh, period. Take these words and use them as you would. We offer this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.